Well, welcome back to Open to Truth, a podcast all about exploring big ideas and discovering truth together. My name's Clint. Hi, I'm Tony. Welcome back. And this week, I'd like to talk about iconography. Oh, great. Let's double click on that. Yeah. Oh, double click. (laughs) I planned that for a while. Okay. (laughs) Um, That just means to look at it more closely. To inspect more closely, like you would with an icon on a desktop. Yeah. Sure. Uh, This was brought to our attention by a listener. Oh, yeah. Brad, if you're listening, this one's for you. Uh, Brad was requesting that we do an episode talking about iconography. And I think it's a little more familiar uh, for Brad having grown up in like a Catholic church where there is a little more emphasis Mm -hmm. on icons. So I told him from the get go and I'll say again, uh, there wasn't, I don't think, a whole heap of iconography going on in my upbringing and um, in the churches that I've attended. So it's somewhat of a new sort of area for me, but I'm mm-hmm. totally willing to talk about it. I think it's interesting. Yeah. So let's let's define the terms. Yep. That's going to be super helpful here. Yep. Uh, an icon, what is that? So, because I, I do think how it's defined is going to do a lot of the work and yeah. the ethical judgment of it. Mm-hmm. And I think there are some other related terms that need to be held in balance here. So maybe I'll just lay them out. There is an icon. Mm-hmm. There is art. And there's an idol. Oof. Oh, now that one at the end. That has a bad feeling. (laughs) I've I've learned to not like that word. Yeah. Idol bad. Idol bad, yeah. And I think a key reason is from scripture. There is this commandment, thou shalt not create a a graven image. Yep. Or create idols. Yep, it does say that. Don't do that. Deuteronomy 20. Maybe that's a better place to start. Just what, what... What's being prohibited there? Yeah, yeah. Let me just read it. Can I at least read some scripture for us? This is from, I'll read the New Living Translation. This is from actually Exodus 20, verse 4. I was wrong. Is this, so this is the first occurrence of the law, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue? I don't know. Is that okay. Exodus 20? Yeah, I think, I think that would be the first instance. Okay. Yeah. This is New Living Translation. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. Now, that seems really prohibitive. Like if you just take that. Let's as just take the up. first part where it's using the word idol. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind. So I immediately think of just in my mind a a little statue. Yep. A carving, uh, maybe out of wood or someone's hewn it out of stone. Yes. If I could just add verse yep. five, adds some clarity. Here. Oh, okay. It's not a it's not a prohibition against art in general. So. The two verses together, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters beneath. That would be an outlaw on art. Don't do that. Verse five, you shall not bow down to them or worship them. Good. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on their children to the fourth, f- third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Okay, All we'll right. stop there. Got it. Yeah. So, wow. So it's really the worshiping of the idols. To I me, think. that I'm totally on board with that. Mm. And I guess the reason for it would be I only want to worship things that are worthy of worship. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, to be worthy of worship means that you are have worship worthy properties. And what are those properties? Moral perfection, maybe a certain amount of power, a certain amount of knowledge that's worthy of my genuflecting to my bowing. And I think of bowing when it's done in a non-coercive way, yep. typically uh, when I'm bowing down to power alone, that that is there's something not worshipful necessarily about that. Yep. Maybe it more out of fear mm-hmm. or yeah, I just don't want something bad to happen to me. 
but when it has this um when it's a great making property or something worthy of adulation when it's worshipful it's a property that's really good and mm-hmm. i can think of no better property of goodness than moral perfection yeah so that's the pinnacle of worship worthiness so i would like to only be worshiping that which is worthy of it which is god himself. i'm if we're i'm yep. building that into my concept of god god is a title that a being has that you get when you are morally perfect yep so maybe we this is the realm of speculation a little bit but so thus the conclusion then is that i would not worship an idol because mm. it does not have the property of moral perfection it after all is a made with created thing yep. that has no agency and capable of moral decision making i hear what you're saying i'm on board i think that makes sense where i want to maybe push back is were these people really worshiping the physical idol or is the idol a representation of a spiritual reality uh mm-hmm. an entity uh god whatever you however you want to think about it and the idol is just sort of a a stand-in. Like when I think about um, an icon on a computer, the icon on your desktop is not the application. It's not the program. Mm-hmm. It's something that represents the program. And when you click on it, then you get to participate in the actual application. So when I think about idols, graven images, is it so bad to have an icon that would be something that, that represent? it's not the thing in itself, it's not the thing that you're worshipping, but it points to the thing that you're worshiping or it reminds you of the thing that you're worshiping or it allows you to to keep your attention focused on the thing that you're supposed to be worshiping. Is that what they were doing? Or are we saying these people were literally worshiping rocks and um, hmm. gold calves and stuff? I understand that there's some chronological snobbery that can happen where we sort of think about the ancient people as being stupid. Yeah. But I don't think they were. I mean, in many ways, they didn't know a lot that we do. Mm-hmm. But... You, just have, you find it hard to imagine that that's what... I do. Maybe yeah. I'm giving them too much credit. But this I f- little carving. Yeah, I find it hard to believe that anybody would really think the carving itself is the divine thing. Maybe maybe there's plenty of people who think this, that somehow spirits like attach to physical objects mm-hmm. and, and certain objects can carry demons with them or whatever it happens to be. But I'm, I want to push back and... and why would this have been forbidden? Mm-hmm. No, and, that's good. And the best argument I can think of is that although an icon might be a stand-in for something and point to something else, if the thing that it's trying to point to is so unlike it that it would it actually is unhelpful to have an icon, then I could see why you might forbid any attempt to make an image. Like, I can understand the perspective from God of, look, as God, I am so unlike anything you've ever encountered that any image you try to make to capture what I'm like is going to mislead more than it's going to direct you towards me. Hmm. So you're better off not making any images because I'm not like a rock and I'm not like for, a cow. And for the purpose of worship. Yeah. You mean? I guess so, yeah. Because this is where it's helpful to bring in the notion of art. I just I would find it a, a genuinely crazy view that the, you would think the God of the universe has a prohibition against Art. Oh man, yeah. I'm just not yeah. probably gonna believe that view. Yeah, <laughs> um, that we can't like depict stories from the Bible mm-hmm. or you know representations of Jesus on the cross or yep. just an empty cross indicating resurrection. I mean, there's so many. That seems totally fine. 
It does seem fine. It seems helpful. Definitely. To- Definitely when you bring in Jesus. I mean, he, he was a person. He's a human. Right. So, there is a way you can draw him and represent what mm-hmm. he might have looked like. Or that you would... Um, or And coupling that with the view that other art is fine, but the moment you talk about things that matter most... Yeah, you don't must draw not, those. Yeah. <laughs> that's bizarre. So, it can't mean that... It can't be that. You're allowed to create pieces of artwork. The question that... I mean, you're bringing up a good point. Is like, what is the... <laughs> Were those people actually worshiping pieces of art? Mm-hmm. That just that does seem dumb in a way. Yes. So I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to impugn that to those people. And I don't. You're right. I don't think that's what they're doing. It's something more of like a conduit. Yeah. I think maybe, maybe what I would push back on, or like maybe modern people, the the piece that they're not endorsing is that these things don't have metaphysical gravitas in the sense that they are like carrying a spirit within them yes or almost like a talisman yeah i've, I've just said a buzzword yeah i know <laughs> I, I like it though a totem yeah. that is itself a vessel for a spiritual reality mm-hmm. that's in some way and like uh, that the spirit is not over here yeah, but it is there it is it's there localized in the Mm-hmm. Object and that you somehow were able to do that with Yahweh and contain him yeah. in this little vessel that I can just put my adulation toward that thing. Where's Yahweh? He's over there. Yeah, and I think I think that's what I think that's what we want to reject. We're resisting. Yeah. Now to the I don't know. Like I, I mean I'm no biblical scholar. I, I'm by trade a philosopher mm-hmm. and a shepherd of a local flock, <laughs> yeah. a congregation. Um, but I do, I could see how someone would say that that seems like a little bit of what's going on in the old Testament, the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the covenant yeah. is kind of an a repository of the presence of God. Now, mm-hmm. whether that's, um, that's just a, a locale that God wants to manifest mm-hmm. himself at times, or is it saying that that actually is, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's not trying to say that it is an idol. That would be yeah, pretty uh, woefully contradictory. As you were saying that, I was just reminded of, uh, this is from Acts 7. I'm actually not sure who's speaking here, but um, he's talking about the temple. Our fathers had the tab- tabernacle of the testimony with them in the wilderness. It was constructed exactly as God had directed Moses, according to the pattern he had seen. And the tabernacle was supposedly the dwelling place of God with his people in this tent. And our fathers who received it brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations God drove out before them. It remained until the time of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built the house for him. However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my place of repose be? Has not my hand made all these things? So there there's sort of this argument that, hmm. like, if we're talking about the God who made literally everything, how are you going to make something that can house it, him, she? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it, it almost just doesn't make sense. It's like a category mistake when we're talking about this God, um, the idea that it would, he would dwell in a localized place. And yet they did, that's how they lived for hundreds of years with a temple and a holy of holies and yeah, that the manifest presence of God being in there. So, how is that 
uh, if the fear with idols and images, if the reason that was prohibited was this localization of Yahweh, why is the temple okay? And why is that encouraged for them? Well, I think, I mean, you're bringing up not that I expect you to know. Just, well, no, I just, um, my knee-jerk reaction these days is to just, I have to re remember that I don't place equal weight on all pieces of scripture. Yeah. I think that there's like a trajectory, an evolution of faith taking place in the scripture themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's a re record of what people were thinking about what God is like and the human condition. Yeah. And so th I would have to bring all that to bear in the discussion of like, oh, of course, ancient Israelites thought this about Yahweh. Yeah. yeah. And like that God wanted to be at a place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Everyone was doing That's that. How they there all, were yeah. ziggurats right. and whole temples built. Yeah. Yeah. So, and so, and I, I see the new Testament author there, a speaker, uh, challenging that notion. Yeah. The whole temple idea. Given, <laughs> given what's revealed in Jesus, maybe we've been thinking about where God's presence is the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, so, so then, modern day iconography, and let's say, well, where is the line for you between an icon and art? Or maybe there isn't. Well, like, like a pic. You walk into a cathedral. There's Jesus on a cross. Yeah. Some man. statue or depiction of the Lord. I guess, man. Is that art? Is it an icon? <laughs> and maybe maybe I'm too close to conflating icon and idol. Yeah. Forgive me if I am, okay. but I do view an icon as having it's taking it's a functional definition. Uh it's like money. It's mm. something that's used in a worship setting. It's yes. art used okay. in worship. Sure. Yeah, great. Great. Uh, Thank you. That's helpful. Is that right? That's right. Okay. So I want to know. My my intuition doesn't tell me that I'm doing something wrong if I were to gaze at a depiction of the crucifixion. I'm looking at this thing. I'm internally coming to terms with what happened to Jesus on the cross and maybe what that meant. And I'm praying to God internally as I sort of am moved by this artwork. And it's keeping somehow my attention and my emotions sort of centered around this event, the crucifixion. Mm -hmm. That doesn't seem bad to me. I'm not praying to the statue. I don't think it's alive. I don't think there's a mm -hmm. spirit living on it or in it or anything like that. Yeah. But it's a helpful tool for attention direction. Is that wrong? That seems fine to me. Where's okay. the danger? No? I, Yeah, man. I think, I think that's okay. I would wonder about um, its usage in the liturgy for that community of saints, mm -hmm. whether... Um, there was a ethos of like, that's how you pray. Like, um, don't go, you need, this is kind of like the special conduit. Got it. There needs to be a crucifix in the home or like there, this is kind of like the, the centralization of God's presence. Yeah. I think if that theology is creeping in through the usage of that thing, then that starts to worry me. Not like in some like crazy way. I just, yeah, I yeah. start to think it's incorrect. Right. Right. Um, so I, w I would uh, I would encourage that congregation to try praying or communing with the God of the universe without mm -hmm. the icon. I think you're saying like, why not? Like that could be helpful. Yeah. But also, I think part of spiritual growth would be doing it without the yeah. icon. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense to me. Like, w or another way of putting it is, does constant iconography usage cripple 
the muscle that you should be developing of practicing the presence of God everywhere mm-hmm. at all times. That's right. So in that sense, it, see, it could be unhelpful. And maybe I'm totally like, and I'm not, I've never been part of a Catholic church or Eastern Orthodox. Mm-hmm. I certainly feel like this is happening a lot in other religions too. I'm thinking of like little Buddhas and Shrines stuff. and yeah. So I don't have experiential usage, uh, uh, knowledge of using that in my spiritual life. But well, even from like do. movies and stuff, I'm thinking of like little priests or nuns or people clutching their crucifix. Yeah, right. <laughs> El Diablo. Yeah, yeah. Or like, and like, but, and this is the, there's metaphysical there's, spiritual oomph in this little in talisman yeah. that is warding off. It keeps the demons at bay. That, that uh, wigs me. Yeah, I want to reject that. <laughs> I've always wanted to reject that. That if, if I am a Christian, if we mean anything by that, that mm-hmm. it needs to be an incarnational theology, the idea that God lives in, he's made his dwelling place man, he lives in me, mm-hmm. then this talisman is not going to be the thing that protects me from evil spirits. If anything does, it will be the God that lives in me, you know? Yeah. So Back to your point, though, about that, that I think is really interesting of one of the reasons perhaps to reject, like maybe like the reasoning from God for that commandment you said was, Look, I'm so other, I'm yeah. so holy mm-hmm. that anything that you try to do to describe me it's falls wrong. short. Yeah. So what do we think of that? Is that uh, yeah. Is that the case? I know some blokes who preach that way. They'll quiz you. What's more like God, an angel or an amoeba in the toilet? They're both equally unlike God. Oh. Neither of them is more like God than the other. Wow, wow. I don't know how I feel about that. Because I mm-hmm. feel like if the angel is sentient, that's something. Anyway. But so this you get is the a, idea. This is a topic sometimes described as divine ineffability, mm. the inability to be described yeah. or captured in human thought yeah. or word. What can you say about God, if anything? So there's a whole tradition called, I think it's uh, apophaticism, which is, or atheology, which is, I, you can only use negative statements mm-hmm. when talking about God. God is not whatever yeah the word would be um i don't know wicked malicious yeah Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) right Right. there's similarities there with some of these eastern traditions like taoism that talk about the the Tao, the the great flow of all things one of the opening lines in the Tao te ching is the Tao that can be named is not the Tao. it's like you can't say anything about it if you can say anything about it you're not really talking about it you know, hmm. that's one of the sort of claims, which was why Taoism so, is so hard to wrap your head around because it's all riddles and mysteries and paradoxes and yeah. they're never speaking plainly because according to them, you can't speak plainly about this mystery. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's some rules of uh, some, you know, um, not rules, segments of like Christian mysticism or whatever that would probably subscribe to this. So it's like um, you there's a degree of unknowing that you need. Unknowing is a word that gets thrown around in Christian mm-hmm. mystic, mystical circles a lot. Yeah. Like St. John of the Cross's cloud of unknowing. It's actually a coming to know God is a, a doing away with all the things that you do know to find yourself resting in the ground of being or something like that. Yeah, it's a very mystical so, claim. Yeah, that's mystical, mysterious. Yeah. Interesting, man. I think, uh, well, my, my tradition that I come from prizes divine revelation. Mm-hmm. And so the, yeah. <laughs> the degree to which that's happening at all seems like, like the very act of even having that as a category means yeah. that there's a truth 
claim being made that I now have access to that I would not have otherwise. What else could revelation So mean? <laughs> I am closer to ascertaining the truth of ultimate reality than I would have been without the divine revelation. Yep. If you are on board with any kind of divine rev or special revelation, then you have to be, that's kind of what's going on, right? Yeah. And so I'm fine with someone saying perhaps, uh, I think it's, man, forgive me, everyone that knows more than this, <laughs> more about this than me, but I think Aquinas and some other medieval philosophers were really big on um, metaphorical or uh, analogical mm -hmm. descriptions being okay. Like all we can ever hope to do with our thought and language is to like by analogy describe God. We're not actually getting at the real deal, yeah. the real essence, but we're, we're using analogy or metaphor. Isn't that, forgive me if this is too far afield, isn't that just the case with language in general? Isn't all language metaphor for experience mm. of some kind? Mm. When, maybe. When I use the word sad, it is not sad. It's not sadness. It's referring to an experience that you have had, that I have had, and we're both naming that together. Why would that be different when we talk about God? Well, now, yeah, you are getting into like a difficult yeah. philosophy of language topic is to what, yeah, what are you asking there? You are asking about why do any of our words, little utterances that we've made up, mm -hmm. starts to get weird when you really reflect on mouth noises, mouth noises, meat flaps. Yeah. That, um, why does that connect with any experience at all? Yeah. And is that capturing it in any way or for a word to mean anything for it to be meaningful it needs to sort of attach to some experiential reality in some way mm -hmm. right and i think like we've done a whole podcast on communication efforts mm -hmm. but i yeah, think there's something to, to like for me to understand what you're saying let's say, let's assume assume we are understanding realists we think that yeah. Communication really happens. Yep. And so what that means is when I use a word, I'm bringing to the table uh, my experiential background, the cultural norms surrounding the usage of that word, mm -hmm. the usage of it successfully in other modes of talk. And so when I say the word sad, you have, and we're realists about communication that it happens, you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. That you also now share the mental state of sad in the sense that you understood yep. the conceptual content. Yes. Whether or not that word is a metaphor or how you want to describe okay. how it latches on to that state of affairs of sadness, mm -hmm. you got what I meant. Yeah. And so we can now wonder then, uh, we could ask a question, was God ever sad or is God ever sad? Yeah. And I don't think that I'm purely being metaphorical or only approximately true that my human words can never latch on to ultimate reality. I think that they can latch like, on. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm having, I know what it's like. I know the, what it's like to be sad mm -hmm. and I can ask the question coherently. Is God ever sad? Yeah. That's what the, like whether the answer to that question is noble, that's different. Yeah. Maybe I am unable to know, whether God is sad or not. Yeah, yeah. The question we're asking right here and with iconography is, is the question even coherent? Yeah. Am I, does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. And it is coherent. Well, I think so. Yeah, okay. Others would say no. Right. That your meager human concept of sadness could never latch on to whatever great your reality 
the divine would have of that emotion. Yeah. Okay. I got what you're saying. But see, I'm coming from the perspective. I, I take pretty seriously the notion of like the Imago Dei or the image of God. And that as a human being, I bear that in a significant way. We could spin our wheels about what that means. But I think that means at least to some degree, I am having that I and the divine have similar in kind yeah. of experiences. Yeah. Maybe not of scale. Yep. I don't. I don't have knowledge to the depth or gravity or scope that the divine has, but I'm a knowing thing. Yeah. And I'm participating in that creative thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All of that. I think, I think the strongest argument you make there is that one from if there's a, if you believe in revelation at all, then God must be knowable in some sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Or um, I could say, or how about this? Maybe this is helpful. It, It seems like, I, my my tools of the human apparatus of language, I'm able to talk about all of the cosmos at once. Mm. So it's really neat about our concept. Yeah. So when I, I'm looking at this microphone before me for our audio only listeners, and I can I can just kind of wonder, uh, everything in the universe is either an apple or a non-apple. So I just said a sentence, a claim that talks about everything in the cosmos mm. right yeah and this microphone is it's part included. of the cosmos yeah uh, it's a non-apple and so i want to say like is god part of all things that exist mm. i think yes i think god is, is an existing thing mm-hmm. and so my speech i captured god in that yeah in that uh, wide net that you in cast. that proposition that i cast forth through an english sentence mm-hmm God is also a non-apple, right? Yeah. So that that to me is an example of the way that my human speech is equipped to wrestle God into my control in that way. Not that I am, uh, I'm not forcing things to be true about God. He has the truth independently of any of my powers. Mm -hmm. Rather, I am just, I have descriptive capability. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right? Now now again, I, I did select one that was in line with like the negative theology, right? He's I, didn't, a non-apple. I didn't attribute <laughs> yeah. a, a positive property. I just, he's not an apple. Yeah. 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 You, you said a moment ago that you, you don't feel like you've um, experienced using an icon in worship. I just want to push back a okay. little bit, yeah. maybe, <laughs> and wonder in the contemporary Christian worship setting. I meant as a regular part of my life, but okay. maybe you are. Maybe you're going to push back on that as well. Well, I'm just thinking there's plenty of times we're singing a song at church and there's an mm-hmm. image of Jesus, uh, or it's not actually obviously Jesus, but some drawing or uh, mm-hmm. photo representation of a cross or Christ on a cross. or And what is that? Is that icon use as you sort of dwell on that image and are worshiping? Mm. Or no, because you're not in any way saying the picture has some juju on it or the God's dwelling in the picture or something like that. Hmm. Um, oh man wow 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 I mean it doesn't even have to be I don't know if this would count as iconography it's not always depictions of Jesus or a cross it could be creation could be mountains beautiful landscapes that are designed to evoke something in you about wonder or beauty or awe and that should facilitate 
how you're thinking about God and interacting with him in those moments. Is that modern day icon use or is that just art serving its function to point to the true good and beautiful? I would go with the latter, yeah. I think. Or or the other consistent choice would be to say yes to the former and that it's okay to yeah. include them in worship. Yeah, yeah. But it, am I is that then embracing idolatry? <laughs> and well, I don't see that word really has gotten stretched. stigmatized. Yeah. Idol? I mean, anything apparently can be an idol. You can make an idol out of your kids and you can make an idol out of sports. Mm. You can make an idol out of your car. You said earlier you try to only worship things worthy of worship. And you talked about bowing and genuflecting and all of that. And I've can do, and i been known to do that to things that aren't worthy of worship. Okay. Yeah. I've, I've sinned. Okay, all right. Well, I've, I've fallen short. I am my, just curious yeah. to know, wh- how do you know when something is an idol? It's taken priority over things that are worthy of worship, perhaps. Priority. Uh, I've put my meaning or my significance into it. Mm. My identity is wrapped up into it. I mean, I kind of know it when I feel it, you Mm -hmm. know, when something has consumed me in a way that's not healthy or helpful or I've placed more value on it than really I should. Mm -hmm. I know what that feels like. Do you think that's a an okay way to understand idolatry as the original command was supposed to prohibit? Like, is it the same thing that we're guilty of in our cars and our sports or whatever we happen to idolize? Mm. Sure. As I sit here now, I I think so. Maybe I'm super wrong about this, but no, I'm trying to think too of how, like, what are we, yeah. What are we really talking about here? So like in the Catholic church, from what I understand, I mean, you go, you walk into one and it's quite a bit more like material, materialized. There's like little statues. There's lots of art. Of saints yep. and Mary. Stained glass depictions of all uh, the different saints. There's a rosary. It's something that like you're encouraged to keep with you mm-hmm. quite a bit. Um, most Catholic homes would have a crucifix in it. Um, I kind of jokingly talk with uh, Sarah's yeah, right. family. I called it the religious area. I had um, <laughs> have a shrine. some old palm branches from a Palm Sunday. I had the family Bible, and it was this whole kind of like thing a in the living room. That's yeah. a shrine. That's a little bit like what a shrine. What else is a shrine if not that? Yeah. yeah. And there, they would certainly be upset if it were besmirched, mm. if someone just took down the crucifix. So and it's sacred ca- in some way. Threw it into the fireplace. Yeah, man. So uh, that's something. See, it happens with Bibles too. I remember when I was a kid or something. Don't leave that on the floor. Sitting on a Bible or chucking a Bible and being roused on for that. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, it's just a book. It's just ink. It's paper and pages. Yeah. It's not the thing. It points to the thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So that could be, I mean, maybe those are symptoms of, but also I understand why people would want something to be respected. Sure. I mean, don't come and trash the church. We yeah. Get, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know if the the keeping the rosary on you, I don't know if that's, correct me if I'm wrong, Catholics out there. I don't think that's so much like a, I need to keep a tchotchke that has juju on it with me so much as it is like a, it's a prayer tool, right? You're kind Mm -hmm. of counting the beads while you, now I don't know what the value is in saying a Hail Mary eight times. I don't know. We can talk about liturgical prayer another time, but, Mm -hmm. but I have found, remember when we did that spiritual exercise before I left sabbatical, 
dude came to our all staff and was le- leading us through some contemplation stuff. And we each had like five stones. Yes. And he, he kind of encouraged us to take something that's been percolating in your mind, something that's bothering you and anxiety or worry, whatever, sort of mentally attach it so that the stone represents that thing and go set it down to the side and do that five times or until you run out of stones, set those issues on the table. Really, this is just sort of a psychological trick mm-hmm. to get you to give yourself permission to not dwell on those things in this moment, but instead I'm going to dwell on God. The rocks don't have juju. They're not protecting me from spirits. No. It's just a little psychological It doesn't mean trick. that the, they liter- you are done with those no. worries now? They kept popping up. Like, <laughs> so I hadn't actually placed them on the table, you know? Yeah. I think the rosary is doing something similar to that. But then again, maybe that's not how it's treated by most people who carry one around. I don't know. If you carry a rosary with you, I'd love to know why and how do you use it throughout the day. Um, yeah, I guess maybe... Um, kind of to land the plane a little bit as much as we can with the big topic. I get worried when there's any kind of like imputation of special powers to some kind of just little material object. Yeah. Even communion. Wow. Right. Um, Eucharist. Even communion. Yes. Yeah. And that we need to rely on that thing to access God in some way. That, sure. that troubles me. Sure. I just don't know, like, and maybe I have a caricature in my mind. I don't know what to, to what degree either the ancients or modern uh, regular practitioners of iconography have that in their mindset. Like, yes. I can't, uh, my experience of God will be lackluster if I'm not doing it in front of a crucifix. Like a, like a or, booster. Or signal. I don't know if you really can communicate with Mary or the saints, but to think, if, if you do think that, that I'm not going to be able to really do that without okay. one of their little the statues statue. being like, present. Like it's for better cell reception to God or something. Yeah, so yeah. Cell tower. I just think, and I'm not too worried about like so much that God is really upset by all this rather than just like, I don't, that doesn't strike me as correct they, theology. They need it. Yeah, well, I'm curious. I mean, if we, we've, I think it's been pretty traditional to say that God is omnipresent. We can argue about what that means mm. exactly. But yeah, I'm wondering what does this have to do with the localized manifest presence of God? Is that something that that still happens in a special way? Um, whether or not it's attached to an, a tchotchke, you can walk into churches and hear very common, wow, God is in this place. They'll say that. Oh, do you feel the presence of God? God's here. As opposed to like not in the parking lot or mm-hmm. not when I was at home. Um, and I don't know what I think about that. I mean... I will say I encounter God in more and less intense ways at different times in my life. There are there are experiences I can point to mm-hmm. as being, yeah, moving in a way that having yeah. my breakfast this morning wasn't. Does think, that mean it wasn't spiritual to have my breakfast? I mean, I kind of think the whole thing is spiritual. Mm-hmm. But and people likely have more. I don't know. Maybe this isn't true, but it seems like it that people have more religious experiences at a religious service of some kind and i think part of that might be you're kind of getting yourself ready you're in the right state of mind to experience that i think there's a lot that goes into the kind of experiences you have and and would it and wouldn't it be great if we were in more of that posture in our regular Mm -hmm. everyday life i don't think there's something special about the sanctuary yeah right you know to your point it's made with human it's just a building Mm -hmm. yeah is it is okay? Let me maybe just final question for you. Okay, maybe this is off topic. Those moments when you are say in a worship service and you you sense 
God's presence, an awareness of God's presence that you don't normally have. Is that more, would you say, to do with your awareness in that moment or something actually being different about that moment? I'm more inclined to say that these worship services can help you move into a state where you become aware of something that's been true the whole time in a way that you aren't normally, whether it's through emotive music and rhythmic drumming and chant like singing in a large group. I mean, all of those for thousands of years have shown to sort of induce these states. So it's not surprising to me that that would happen in a church, but I don't know that I want to say we like, we summoned the spirit of God this morning in a way that you I mean, mm-hmm. if we mean anything by God living in us as Christians, then he is always with you, right? It has mm-hmm. to be more about my attention and focus and awareness. I don't yeah, know. the summoning. I have a problem with that. And maybe, and that's good. Maybe that gets to the heart of the issue with like bad usage of iconography or mm-hmm. idolatry is that desire to have God submit to your rules and you're gonna show up now and i have you on my mantle whenever i need you you're right there yeah i can walk away when i'm done yeah and I come back it's just so much on your terms yes i don't now i don't want to go too far and say that even our own language is a form of idolatry like you said a sentence you're trying to capture god no no yeah like when i said that god is a non-apple, non-apple. <laughs> that is just like to me that's a necessity of what human language is even doing yeah I haven't like made God submit to my will in that way. No, no. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. That's an interesting thought. And maybe it is ultimately in the attitude of the practitioner. Mm. What, what, it, what are you bringing to the table when you approach an, a piece of art? And, yeah. And when it transforms into an icon, then suddenly it's a, a conduit of worship. Yeah. Of sorts. Uh, yeah. How much, how much power are you giving that thing and not paying attention to the real thing? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I don't know, Brad, if that was helpful for you. It's interesting for us, at least. I'd love to know if you've grown up in a more traditional liturgical setting, one that involves icons and rosaries and whatever, write to us. Let us know if those are helpful for you, if you've ever found them to be a hindrance. How do you engage with them? Is it something you're doing every day? Mm. Do you feel distant from God when you're not near your icon? I don't know. So we would just love to learn. That's what we're all about here, finding truth through conversation. So um, right to the show, you can leave a comment on this video if you're watching on YouTube, of course, or uh, if you're driving or whatever, you can shoot us an email sometime at mailbag at opentotruth.com. And we'd love to interact with your questions and comments. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, there's also a weekly blog. You can get that at opentotruth.com slash subscribe. Just one weekly email, two to four minute little philosophical nugget uh, based on that week's episode for for your morning. It's good for your brain and good for your soul. Wow. (laughs) All right. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next time. Stay curious.